your assignment for this piece and the last set of poems that we'll be looking at is to consider what E.E. E. Cummings meant by what he says, being and unbeing. These terms are also helpful in how we see poetry and how we say things about a lot of poems that are in the world, especially these. I started to read this one on returning to Detroit. I usually don't read them before I start practicing with you guys. And I'm kind of sorry that I did this time, but it also helped me think about something that I think will help you understand and conceptualize this weirdness of being and unbeing. This is the lens we're using to examine the poems and how we write our essay. We're going to what our being and unbeing mean to Carolyn Forsh or Forche. I'm not really sure how you say her name. Um, as I began to read this, I realized what happened to her and why she's the way she is and why she wrote what she did and why she changed the way she wrote. I've been a lot of places and I've done um, a, a lot of neat things all over the world. And what I've found is that by meeting those people and experiencing their lives and their food and their culture, I'm different because of those things. Everything we do, even if we just stay right here in our own town, changes who we are. And there's another layer, there's another moment, there's another complexity of who we are. Kind of like those Spanish skirts at the Paladura Canyon. Over time, those layers of who we are and who we are becoming are part of who we are. But just like the erosion that is there in the canyon, some things wipe away things that really don't need to be there or they are losses. Um, whenever I was growing up, my dad was an absolute racist pig. He used to laugh and point at black people on the sidewalk and said, hey, look over there, there's a jungle bunny. And I remember looking over there trying to find a rabbit that looked like a monkey. And I could never figure out what he meant. It was many years later that I realized he wasn't talking about an animal. He was talking about a human. And I'm glad that that part of me is unbeing, that I'm able to think about seeing it in a different way. My professor, Dr. Henderson, when we went to India said to us, and I think he was talking about unbeing. He said that we can't go over there and look at, for example, one of their religious services on the Ganges River, where they welcome the sun as it rises in the morning. We couldn't look at that with Western eyes. We couldn't look at that in the way we are at the time. We had to unbecome ourselves. We had to unbe to look at it in a way that those people experience that life as the cultural drama and the beauty and the meaning that it has for the people that are there, not from a light of our own criticism or our own comparison to unbecome, unbeing in a way that helped us experience that, that culture in a completely new way. I think that that's a little bit of what 
I'm starting to see as I read about Carolyn Forsh or Forche. I'll have to look that up. Here's where I started to realize this when I read about her biography. She was born in 1950 in Detroit, Michigan. Carolyn Forche is a poet, professor, and advocate for human rights and social justice. Forche calls herself a poet of witness. See where I started thinking about the unbeing, not seeing it through my Western eyes? She's a poet of witness. She's trying to see things in a new way. And her work has been both praised and criticized for its political content. After winning the Yale Younger Poets Prize for her first book, Gathering the Tribes, she spent a year in El Salvador on a Guggenheim Fellowship. During that year, she worked with human rights activists to find people who had disappeared and to report their whereabouts to Amnesty International. After that work, after that experience, Forche's work shifted, becoming more overtly political, a consequence of her firsthand encounters with atrocities in Central America. That's kind of like what I was saying about the erosion, the unbeing. She saw some things that hurt her heart because of the way she saw these people treated. And finding people who had disappeared, she's learning about their individual stories, and it changed her, and it changed the way she wrote. And she found a voice and a way that she could write that could help other people un become or um, see this in a new way. Forche describes the controversy around her poetry this shift caused. My new work seemed controversial to my American contemporaries who argued against the right of a North American to contemplate such issues in their work, her work or against any mixing of what they saw as the mutually exclusive realms of the personal and of the political. So her work started to mix and touch on topics that her colleagues didn't like. And they didn't like that her poetry became so political. The four poems considered in this unit are from Forche's second book, The Country Between Us, which grew from her experience in El Salvador. One publisher agreed to publish it only if she supplemented the images of violence and war in El Salvador with poems on more traditional subjects. I'm thinking that might have been about love or flowers or the wind. I think she had unbecome in such a way that she was no longer able to unsee those things and she had to bring voice to her poetry to express those things. Forche refused, and the book was ultimately published by Harper and Rowe and was selected by the Academy of American Poets for the Lamont Poetry Award. Her book, her 2019 book, What You Have Heard is True, a memoir of witness and resistance, won the Juan E. Mendez Book Award for the Human Rights in Latin America and was named as a finalist for the National Book Award for Nonfiction. A graduate of Michigan State University, 
and Bowling Green State University. So she's got a bachelor's degree and a master's of fine arts. Forche has taught at numerous universities across the United States. She is the former director of the Lunan Center for Poetics and Social Practice at Georgetown University, where she currently is a professor of English. Look at these titles of the books, The Country Between Us. She's showing a gap about people and violence. What you have heard is true, a memoir of witness and resistance, that witness, that resistance, you're gonna hear in this next poem. Here's the first poem on returning to Detroit. You see, this is where she is coming back from El Salvador and it's changed the way she sees her world. She also, it mentions a country called Bratislava and that is overseas. It's near Hungary, near the Danube River. So she might be coming from another one of her travels as well. I want you to see the vignettes that she's painting here. She's on the train and as she's going through here, she sees the different people. But the way she sees them now isn't the same as how she would have seen them had she not had the experiences from other things. Over the plum snow, the train's blonde smoke, dawn coming into Detroit, but like Bratislava. The icy undergrounds of the train, the passengers asleep on one another and those who cannot, pace the aisles, touching the seats to steady themselves. And between the cars, their hair is silvered by the fine ice that covers everything. A man slamming his hand into a morning paper. A woman who has so rubbed her bright gray eyes during grief that all she has seen can be seen in them. The century of which 20 years are left, several wars, a fire of black potatoes, and maybe a moment when across the table she was loved and as much younger woman, wet her fingertip and played with the bells of empty glasses of wine. Impossible not to imagine her doing that, drawing the shade, and then in its ochre light, the first button of his shirt, the rest. The plants boarded up along the wide black river, the spools of unraveling light that are the rails, the domed Greek church, the glass hopes of the city. Beside one another, the man whose clothes he carries in a pillowcase, the woman whose old love walks into her eyes each morning and with the pole lowers the awnings over the shop stalls of fruit. Always before I've read and prepared the essay, trying to read it, or the poem, trying to read it so that I could read it in a way that shows and helps you comprehend this time I'm gonna read it again and I'm going to stop and think aloud about the things that I'm noticing and how I'm interpreting what is happening either literally or moving forward into an analysis. Over the plum snow, 
the train's blonde smoke. I see a contrast here of the color of plum and of blonde. And I think about what would be making the snow look plum colored purple and then that blonde smoke above it like clouds. It says next then dawn coming into Detroit, but like Bratislava. I'm going to look that up again, Bratislava. It is the capital of Slovakia and it's the largest city that is there. Um, It says that it is surrounded by vineyards. So I mean, that's the purple part and crisscrossed with forested hiking and cycling trails. Um, it has a castle that's there. So to me, this is making kind of a tone of something fantastical, something that you don't really see a lot of time there. Um, so now look what happens too. Sometimes you have those interruptions over the plum so plum snow, the icy undersides of the train. And so you have all of these things that are happening under he here. Now we have this image of the passengers that are on that train. Some of them are asleep, some of them can't sleep. And so I'm envisioning some of these people moving up and down the aisles, but the train is rocking back and forth. So they have to stop and steady themselves on the seats, kind of like what you have to do when you walk in an airplane. Um, and in be and between the cars, their hair is silvered by the fine ice that covers everything. I'm not really sure what that means. Is she seeing something outside and she's looking out the window? I'm not really sure if she's going to be describing these things that are on the train or if she's looking out the window. I'm still not sure about that, but I'm not sure it matters. A man slamming his hand into a morning paper. I can see somebody sitting on this outside of the train doing that or inside of the train. You know, they're kind of flapping that newspaper open to get it to handle the right way. And then we have an extended image of this woman and she's got bright gray eyes and she's rubbing her eyes and it looks like it's a habit and that she's experienced all kinds of grief. And when you look in her eyes, you see all the things that have ever made her sad. And I think she's looking back over her life. She's in the last part of the century. So it must have been uh, 20 years left. So would that have been 1980? And the experiences that she had across that time. And the woman, the poet is imagining whenever this woman must have been younger, when she, have you seen when people wet their fingers and make wine glasses seeing in different tones. She just imagines her doing that. And then she imagines her at night pulling the shade ochre. I'm going to look that up real quick. It's a color. 
Oh, it's a pale brownish or yellow color, kind of like a butternut squash color, it looks like. So she's pulling that shade down, and then she's taking the shirt off of somebody. So it's hinting at intimate things. I see here plants boarded up along the wide black river, the spools of unraveling light that are the rails. I think she's looking outside of the train now. She's looking at the things as they pass, a church and the glass, the windows. It brings in, when you're inside, hopes of the city. Um, and then there are two people next to each other. There's a man who carries his clothes in his suitcase, so it seems to me of poverty. And then this next one, the woman whose old love walks into her eyes each morning and with a pole lowers on it. So it sounds like this woman has a man in her life. He's the love of her life. And she sees him each morning prepare the shop where she's headed to work. That literal translation of it, though, seems to lack some of the beauty of what I think is happening with her. She's seeing these things on returning to Detroit, but she's different because of all the experiences that she's had in the past. And it brings kind of a loveliness to it, but almost a sad loveliness to it. Of she's seeing how these things are changing and what people were are still in them in some kind of way. I'll end with this. I'm always a little bit embarrassed whenever I offer an unchecked interpretation of a poem because I think maybe I'm not smart enough that I don't have enough understanding of what English poetry is and how it's supposed to be read. What I do believe is there's an experience that a person has with the poem that is unique and I may be way off my interpretation of what it is. I only have my experiences, what the poem itself brings to me, and what I can look up and read about it. What I wish that I had is the ability to talk to your teacher, the ability to sit in a room and have a conversation with you, because I think that's where the true beauty of this kind of work comes from, is whenever we test our ideas out with others, because they bring us to new ideas or help us reconsider or confirm what it is that we're thinking. I may be totally wrong about this poem, but I hope that in sharing this insecurity with you that it helps you know that none of us have it all figured out. And the power and the beauty comes from making a decision about how it impacted you and what it makes you think about. That's just as valid. And then that connection and community that we have with others as we begin to share these ideas and um, think about if they're true or not. And I'm always amazed at how someone will share what they thought, that there's no way on God's green earth I would have had that idea, but it is just as valid and just as beautiful. I can't wait to hear what you think and what you were thinking as you experienced this poem and how your thinking will change as you move into the next pieces. <laughs>